1: Hey everybody, welcome in to a live Patriots Q&A edition of the Patriots Beat. Week before the draft, uh, well we, nine days exactly before the draft, Alex, and we are to the point now where I think I've heard every single mock draft, every single simulation of the first round, all the different variables, I think the Patriots have taken every position besides maybe an interior offensive lineman and like a punter or a kicker in the mock drafts that I have seen. I've seen wide receivers. I've seen quarterbacks. I've seen defensive players, tackles, certainly. Just everywhere and anywhere that you could possibly think of right now that the Patriots roster Doesn't look as bad as it did a few months ago, certainly after their big free agency, but not necessarily a roster that is rid of holes or needs for infusion of talent in certain spots. So I think that we know absolutely nothing about the Patriots' intentions right now going into this draft. And that's what Mike Giardi of NFL Network tweeted about 20 minutes ago, saying teams around the league pretty much have no idea what the Patriots have in store for the draft next weekend.
0: And I think some of it is you can project ahead, right? A big reason the Patriots are in the spot they're in is, and I wrote about this last week on 98.5thesportshub.com under, you know, I just wrote about kind of the Patriots draft needs. But the overall concept to me is that famous Belichick mantra of you move on from a player a year too early rather than a year too late. And part of that isn't just moving on from the player, but it's having the next guy set. It's being able to move on from that player a year too early versus a year too late. And a part of the way they've been able to do that is through the draft. Now, with some of these less than stellar drafts the last few years, they've gotten behind the eight ball at some positions. They kind of restocked in free agency, but now they're in a great spot where, you know, is cornerback as it sits today here on April 20th an immediate need No, but both of those guys are on one-year contracts. So you're in a position where cornerback tackles another position like that, inside linebacker, where they might not be immediate needs, but they're crucial positions. There's good players at those positions they're going to be able to get. So you have to consider those needs because, again, if the Patriots want some sustained success here and to make the most out of his free agency class, look, quarterback's a need for this year right now. We know that. Beyond that, they're in a good position to start setting themselves up for needs down the road and making sure they continue to be competitive and continue to have a full roster here for the next three, four, five years.
1: Right, exactly. This is more of a draft that does feel like plugging in holes for the 2022 roster and beyond, right? And that's why I think a lot of these mock drafts, there's not a whole lot of positions right now on this Patriots roster that you look at. And, and we had this talk off the air about quarterback. Yeah, could a rookie quarterback like a Justin Fields come in and push Cam Newton immediately? Certainly. But I don't think Bill Belichick is going to be one of those guys that's going to start a rookie right away in week one. So, Basically, there's not a whole lot of positions or a lot of holes on this team where you could draft a player in the first round and assume that guy is going to get starter level snaps in year one. There's a lot of player positions instead looking at 2022 and beyond tackle, cornerback. Quarterback, certainly, that you can kind of check these boxes now and get these guys in the building now. And then when Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn decide to move on, let's say, or if they decide to move on from Stefan Gilmore or JC Jackson, they have JC Horn in the, in the, right. you know, waiting in the wings, so to speak, for the, and you, and can say, you can say, you can say the same
0: thing at tackle too with Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown and, and, you know, Christian Darisoff.
1: Right, exactly. So th- those are sort of the the situations and the permutations I think that we have talked about a whole lot on this show. We're going to get to some of your questions, so if you have questions, I see a couple coming in already, please drop those in the chat right now and we will get to as many as we can in the next hour or so. Alex, there was, I don't know if you saw the tweet about a rumored picture um, from a decision maker that the Patriots and the Packers have discussed a trade for Jordan Love. I can tell you right now that the tweet that all of you guys are seeing that started this rumor is 100% fake. There is absolutely no truth to it whatsoever being that exact trade. But I think the question between – the Patriots in potentially trading for Jordan Love is not completely out of left field, right? I mean, the Packers need to make a decision with their quarterback situation. They're in a similar spot to what the Patriots were in with Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo uh, all those years ago. So that sort of feels like a potential trade partner but my whole thing is is Jordan Love got paid 26th overall last year the Patriots had the 23rd pick in the draft and they passed so if they really wanted Jordan Love we could have just done this last year and they could have drafted Jordan Love a year ago
0: yeah now they're giving up the 15th pick for him according to this so I don't you know I I wasn't very high on Jordan Love last year I didn't. I, I guess I'm still not. We haven't seen anything. He lost the backup job, didn't he? To oh, what's what the guy's always in the chat talking about? Uh, 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 Tim Boyle or whatever. Tim, Tim Boyle, yeah. yeah. So, I what's what which what, what, if Jordan loves in this class? What where is he? Is he QB six, seven, eight? I mean, he, I think he's somewhere in that Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond range, right about. So draft one of those guys at that point. Don't give up the fifteenth pick. To get a guy you can get with the 46 pick, that's just poor asset management. Maybe they really love Jordan Love, and if they did, you know I've said it, you can't pay too much for a quarterback you really like. But like you just said, it's hard to believe they really like him when they essentially passed on him last year. So I, yeah, I think that you know we're we're into the depths of silly season here, and I don't waste your time with this one.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, again, I, I can tell you that the picture that's floating around there is 100% not a real... I couldn't
0: even read it. Maybe I just got, like, a bad version of it, but it looked too blurry to me to make out anything.
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest things with Jordan Love, I would have him as QB6 in this year's draft if he were to come out this season and what you saw last year on uh, watching him and, and studying him was somebody that certainly has a lot of raw ability that you really really like but he was an absolute turnover machine in college he had something like double digit interceptions every single year of his collegiate career as a starter i think he had 19 maybe it was his last year in college so this was somebody that was very very turnover worthy you know prone Right? Somebody that really turned the ball over a whole lot. Now he does have great arm talent. He is an athletic guy. He has sort of that Patrick Mahomes type of style to him where he can throw the ball and flick the wrist from any platform and get it 60 yards down the field. And there are certainly a lot of things that like a lot of prospects, you know, you can cut up five, six, seven throws from Jordan Love last year and stack it against a lot of quarterbacks in every class and be like, this guy can make all the high level throws compared to other people, right? So that that's something that I think you can say is attractive about Jordan Love is the is the playmaking and certainly the athletic upside. But in terms of decision-making, ball security, some of the other boxes that the Patriots look to check, you're in and you're out of that spot. He doesn't really fit that mold of what they would typically look for in a QB. And at this point, I mean, if you're gonna have to trade 15, even if it's a swap, and then it's 15 and for 29 and Jordan Love, I mean, why waste your time, right? You know, well, just go be, draft Kellen Mond, just go draft Davis Mills. Uh, those guys are pretty much the same exact thing. I would say at this point from Jordan Love, besides maybe Jordan Love has a little bit more arm talent than those two guys, but I, I don't think it's a huge separation between those two uh, types of prospects.
0: And it's the only difference would be the fifth year option, right? But. You, that that's a even if you pick that up, it's a four year deal because a year's already burned on that contract versus the the four years for for Mond or Trask. So, I yeah I I can't see any again. The only reason I can see is if they really really liked them, and all the evidence tells us they don't.
1: So yeah, I, I, I at least not in that out. first round value. Now, if they could swap no. a third or a fourth round pick for Jordan sure, Love, sure. then maybe we're having a different conversation. But if anything, but then, the, the, the Packers. The
0: and the Packers aren't going to trade somebody. They just used a first-round pick on – like this isn't – I don't think this is a Josh Rosen situation where right. they're going to just sell him for a monumental loss a year after taking him. I, I don't think that happens.
1: You so. might have better odds of an Aaron Rodgers – not here in New England, but Aaron Rodgers moving in a in a year from now from Green Bay – then you might have Jordan Love moving at this uh, present time right now. All right, let's get to this next question about Josh McDaniels. I, I definitely want to ignore the stuff about Tebow because let's hope that it doesn't go that, down any road like that. But Josh McDaniels' involvement in this decision-making process here with the quarterback. We know he was at Alabama. Now, Mac Jones wasn't the only guy that worked out at, at Alabama, right? He had the receivers. He had Najee Harris. Right, right. But he was at Alabama to watch Mac Jones. He was at Justin Fields' showcase last week, um, the throwing session alongside Dave Ziegler. So, obviously, Josh McDaniels' voice is being heard at the table at the quarterback position. I guess the question that we can spin it as is how important – is his voice, and how much should he have in terms of say of who they draft moving forward here?
0: Well, if you know the the kind of belief is true that he's going to be the next head coach and this is going to be his team in whatever it is, three to five years, I think he should have a huge say. This is his quarterback. I, I he's definitely a part of it, right? Because there was that story yeah. from I forget if it was Christopher Price or, or Jim McBride, it was one of the Globe guys that Kellen Mond has been texting with Josh McDaniels. Like yeah. they've been talking since the senior bowl. So if he's doing that, I think he's very involved. And I think we know that he likes Mon. It doesn't mean Mon's his favorite. He might be texting other guys and those guys just, you know, the story's not out there. But yeah, it, it sounds like McDaniels is, is, is very involved. in in regards to the Tebow thing, I, I, I will touch on that and I get that hesitation. And I, it's certainly valid. I'm not going to dissuade anyone from feeling that way. I just don't think there's a Tim Tebow in the draft. Str- well, there is a Tim Tebow in this draft, but he's not, he doesn't have the same hype train. It's Ian Book, but. Or Sam
1: Ellinger. You know, both of those guys are kind of, I'd say Sam I, Ellinger plays more like Tim Tebow, right? Like an athlete playing quarterback. Yeah, I, I think part of the, well, Ian Book's more like
0: him because they're both terrible quarterbacks, but I think that the, the draw with Tebow wasn't the football skill. It was the leadership. It was that like. Right. Josh McDaniels thought he was getting a core, like a captain. He thought he was going to get a guy who's going right. to be a 10, 15-year captain, and the football skills would be enough to justify it. That's what I think that pick was. And that guy, I'm not saying none of these quarterbacks have leadership abilities, but the guys who are the best leaders in this draft are also the best quarterbacks, right? Whether it's Mac Jones, whether it's Justin Fields, like these guys can be a locker room, but they also don't have the, the throwing motion of a pitcher in the middle of Tommy John surgery. So I'm not too worried about the Tebow thing because I don't think in this specific case it's an issue. Like look, if if they take, uh, uh, if, if they take Sam Ellinger or Ian Book in the third round, you can bring this clip back up and call me an idiot. That's fine. I just don't see it in this draft.
1: Right. And I, I think the question really was more also geared towards the fact that Josh McDaniels has in the past been Kind of gravitated towards mobile quarterbacks outside of Tom Brady, of course, right? right. There's guys that he, he is typically, um, favored, at least rumored wise, favored mobile QBs like a Tim Tebow, like a Lamar Jackson. Josh McDaniels was apparently, although Baker Mayfield's not Lamar Jackson, he is, he can move around a little bit. And the Patriots apparently really liked Baker Mayfield in that draft. So does that really matter i mean i guess maybe in terms of the mac jones conversation it could matter a little bit but so many of these quarterbacks from fields to lance to mond uh they're there these guys are mobile a lot of these yeah. guys are mobile so i don't know if it's necessarily going to be a number one sort of argument of josh mcdaniel's needs a mobile quarterback but if he does want a mobile quarterback there's plenty of them in this draft to pick from uh, you know on all from the first three or four rounds of the draft. Some of those guys I just mentioned, you could go and get, if you really are infatuated with having a guy that can run, you you can get Jamie Newman in the fourth round, right? You know, there's plenty of options here uh, for mobile QBs if he wants to go that direction. Should the Patriots go that direction? It's certainly where the league is going. You know, at least players, quarterbacks that can create outside of structure are on what's called second reaction plays. That's the big thing nowadays is when the scheme breaks down and you're not running the offense with the timing and stuff like that and and everything kind of goes to crap, what can the quarterback do then to create a play? Can he move around? Can he work the pocket like a Tom Brady? Can he move around like a Patrick Mahomes? You know, what what's his card to throw when everything isn't perfect? Right. And that's a big sort of thing about quarterbacks as we scout them this year. And it's becoming a more and more popular kind of buzz topic of, okay, Mac Jones is one of those QBs that kind of needs that timing rhythm based offense and needs everything to work on schedule for him to thrive whereas somebody like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance can maybe create out of structure a little bit easier than Mac Jones because of their athleticism and their arm talent that's a very popular th- you know kind of conversation around the league but at the same time i think offensive coordinators or play callers like Kyle Shanahan like Josh McDaniels are really confident in their structure and within their scheme that they're not so concerned about the 10% of the time when the play breaks down, What it, what's going to happen, right? They're concerned about the 90% of the time, what's the quarterback doing, what decisions is he making within the confines of the offense. I think that that's way more important at the end of the day. Accuracy, decision-making from the pocket is going to trump all that second reaction type of stuff, I think, for an offensive coordinator like Josh McDaniels is appealing as... Playing 11 on 11 in the running game is, I, I still think that that's at the end of the day the most important thing when we're talking about quarterbacks. Uh, let's talk about some wide receivers. Uh, favorite day two wide receiver we've had this conversation a few times in mock drafts and stuff like that I'm a big Amari Rogers guy you know that I I think that he's a great fit here in New England I see some other names in the chat Elijah Moore I think he's a day one guy Uh, Terrace Marshall from LSU who do you like on day two though and then I can maybe give a name other than Amari Rogers since I've talked about him so much
0: um, is Kadarius Tony a day two guy,
1: or are we putting? Him I think he's a fringe. You know, I think he's he's t- certainly going to be. I think he's a, one of the thirty two best players in this draft. It's just a Correct. matter of how many wide receivers is, are really going to go in the first round.
0: All right, so I'll, I'll say like Kadarius Tony with an asterisk, and then I'm still I'm still aboard the Jalen Darden train. I still, and I don't necessarily know that he's going to be a good NFL player. I just love the potential. I love what's potentially there, and that's what day two is all about, right? It's about taking big swings on guys and, and getting a guy that, you know, maybe has some red flags that kept him out of the first round, but definitely has something in him that you think, you know, says superstar. So I think that's Jalen Darden. So I'll go, I'll go Kadarius Tony and Jalen Darden because I guess I have a type.
1: We're going to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props and almost anything you can imagine. Betonline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use Use that promo code cls 50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. <laughs> well, it's pretty easy to pick the undersized slot receivers in this draft, right? I mean, that's right. basically what 90% of the draft is. Yeah. The other. The other name. I was just gonna say,
0: here's an interesting question. Well, give me your name, and then there's an interesting question in, re- in regards to this conversation.
1: Okay, so the other name I wanted to mention that I don't think that gets nearly talked about enough in this wide receiver class is Amon Ross St. Brown from USC. So he's the type of player to me that thrives in New England, not necessarily the athlete that Kadarius Tony is or Rondell Moore is or even Jalen Darden, but he's just a technician and he's very very quick at the top of the route. That translated to his three cone time. I think he ran like a six eight one and the three cone, and you see that quickness in his route breaks, the technical kind of savvy, the ability to set up defensive backs, understanding of leverage. I think he's the type of player – That reminds me a little bit of Jacoby Myers, but with a better athletic profile. And if I'm the Patriots, those are the types of guys that I'm targeting at the wide receiver position. I'm saying no to Terrace Marshall. I'm saying no to Diami Brown. I like those guys as prospects for other teams. But I want the guy that is going to be ready to go within the confines of this system. I think Amon Ross St. Brown would run really savvy routes instantly for the Patriots and would give you what Jacoby Myers does but maybe with a little bit more athletic upside. So that's the other guy. I think I, it's not we, – we really haven't talked about him at all, and I don't think he gets talked about at all in terms of, you know, the conversation here in New England or in the Boston area. enough. Fair, no, fair enough. I just think he – and you kind of hit on. I think he's a little redundant to Jacoby Myers. And... I think he's an upgrade over Jacoby Myers, which is kind of why I, I would, you know, okay. like to see them take him. I just – I don't know that I'm using – a top 50 pick on just
0: upgrading. I think especially somebody when there's
1: would probably be more in the second or third round conversation, not necessarily the top 50 just because of the depth at wide receiver. Well, that's, that's
0: what I'm saying. Their their second right. round pick is 46 and then it's 96. So maybe they trade up, but you know, especially when you have Nelson Aguilar is going to be one receiver. You're, you're really going to have only two receivers on the field most of the time. You already have uh, both Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne who can play that role. And I just yeah. – I, I don't – like, I like the player. I, I think everything you said about the player is true. I just – again, in terms of roster construction, asset management, I, I don't – maybe if they hadn't signed Kendrick sure. Bourne, I'd be more excited about it. I
1: just just worry about – so if they will go out and they and they draft the Kadarius Tony or they draft the Rondell Moore, those guys have game-breaking speed that kind of works in any system, right? You just get the ball in their hands and watch them run with it. That's great, all well, and good. But if their type is to be a little bit bigger and to get a guy that's a little bit more physical, I just – I don't want to see another Terrace Marshall here. You know, I really do. I agree.
0: I, I agree. Terrace Marshall, Nico Collins. Yeah, but but I've also said like it doesn't have to be one or the other. I'm fine if they don't take a receiver until day three. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a need right now, just given the way their roster is structured. I agree. So, you know, if they're like if they're going to go that route, the big guy. I've said this, Jonathan Adams. Go if you're really going to take a swing, really take a swing at like 180. Um, but somebody, if we are going to talk about the slot receivers, somebody brought up Rondale Moore versus Kadarius Tony. Yeah, which I think is a very interesting conversation, I I and talk. I would. I would say it goes back to something I just said that I think the hesitation with Rondale Moore is his ability to stay on the field, right? Correct. And, and he struggled to stay healthy, and that's where the reason why Kadarius Toney is a first-round pick right now, at least a borderline first-round pick, Rondale Moore is kind of seen a little bit later, is Rondale Moore is that prototypical day-two pick. There's a, there's flashes of superstar there, but there's a red flag. In this case, it's injuries that's kind of holding him back, where Kadarius Toney – He's been more durable. He's also just built a little more like an NFL player. He's thicker. He has more muscle on him. He's going to absorb hits. I also just think he's a little bit better of a player. It's marginal. But when you factor in that injury history and the physical build, I'm going to go with Kadarius Tony in this one. But, you know, Kadarius Tony at the end of the first versus Rondell Moore
1: early, middle of the second, you can get into the value conversation there for sure. I I have major concerns about Rondell Moore. I don't think he's going to stay healthy. But are, are they talent-related? None of them are talent related. Okay, fair enough. I agree. But he's played seven games in the last two years. He's not a big guy. He's not a thickly built human being like a Kadarius Tony or an Amari Rogers or yeah. these smaller slot types. You look at a guy like Tyree Kill. The reason why he's been so durable is because his lower body is is stout. You know, he's built like a like a truck down, right. and the thighs. Who is like, that?
0: Um, who is the Bucks running back? They had it like five six years ago. Who's built and he had a oh, they call him the muscle hamster oh uh, 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 Martin. Doug Martin D- Doug Martin yeah Doug Martin the mus yeah like the muscle hamster like you're looking for that kind of build when a guy's that like small
1: exactly and and you worry I just worry about durability with Ron Delmore he's electric he's a lightning in the bottle he is all sorts of kind of game breaking speed all those types of things. I'm not taking Rondell Moore in the top 50 because I don't think Rondell Moore is going to stay healthy, and you're projecting that he's going to stay healthy for 16-plus games and be a consistent weapon for you while touching the ball a bunch, right? If you're taking him in the top 50, you want to feed him, right? You want him to be a vocal point in of your offense, and he's going to have to t- touch the football eight, nine, ten times and be able to take the hit every single time and get back up. Right. And I, I just yeah. don't know if he will. And so that, for those reasons, I've been extremely concerned and, and kind of wary of Rondell Moore in New England. I also think it's a little bit of, you know, in recent years, the Patriots, especially with skill position players have struggled to keep those guys healthy, right? They've drafted Sonny yeah, yeah. Michelle. They've drafted Nikhil Harry and these guys have struggled. It really goes back to Malcolm Mitchell. Right. And, and, and you worry. They just haven't had the best of luck with that type of stuff in, in, in New England. Right from Isaiah Wynn to Sonny Michelle to Nikhil Harry. I mean, we can go all the way down the line and, and years back, right? You know, Derek Rivers gets hurt his first year. Tony Garcia never plays for the Patriots, right? Roz, you know? I mean, Rosai Dowling is where this is all leading. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Rosai right. Dowling. Let me ask sure. you a question. Aaron Dobson's career basically derailed sure. by injuries.
0: I'm curious what you think of this, though. So now that they have the unlimited – right, they're keeping the unlimited return from IR that they had last year. Are you – more and you have the expanded roster as well, are you more willing to take a shot on an injury-prone guy? Like, I've been thinking about that. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it, because at the end of the day, even if he, you know, you can bring him back and forth as much as you want, if he's not on the roster, he's not helping you. But I don't know. I'm I'm curious about that. I wonder if teams will be more interested, to, you know, because it applies to other guys in the draft. Yeah. Landon Dickerson is one who is a clear first-round talent, if not for his injury history. If teams will be more willing to take these guys with, with the shorter I.R., and making it easier for guys to return from IR.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a good point. And I, I think that in the, with the Patriots, like we've said, they don't necessarily need the guy to play right away. They don't necessarily need Rondell Moore to be a star for them instantly, right? But at the same time, I, I don't know. If you're going to take Rondell Moore to me, I want him on, on outside the top 50. Like, trade back in the second sure. round. Maybe you trade OGA up be a um, third round
0: pick it be a Malcolm Mitchell
1: situation. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think he's going to go way higher than that. You know, especially in a draft right. like this where there's a lot of sort of uncertainty, there's not a whole lot of prospects in the draft. I think the Patriots board's going to be tiny. Like I think they're going to have maybe 50, 60 draftable grades. They usually have around 80 or 90. Now we're in a draft that's a third of the size of a normal draft. I think they're going to be somewhere around 65 guys that are draftable to them. And maybe Rondell Moore is on that list. I also wanted to quickly um, talk about Elijah Moore, the other Moore, sure. uh, real fast. So a lot of people in the chat saying Elijah Moore is not going to be a day one pick. Elijah Moore, I really she's not a day one pick. Uh, there's a lot of conversations. around the league of Rondell Moore actually being the fourth guy off the board at the wide receiver position after the big three at the top. And I think that he is going to be somebody that is going to get drafted a lot higher than certain people think. And the reason being is that he had insane production last year as that undersized slot, three-level burner, great with the ball in his hands, great at the catch point, at the break point. There's a lot of reasons to like Elijah Moore a whole lot, and I think the league is extremely high on him as a player. Sure, yeah, no, I, I think
0: he's a good player. I can't help but think past the old piss incident, the 2019 <laughs> Egg Bowl. I think – did we talk about that last week on the show? Yeah,
1: we did. We did. Yeah, well, like I –
0: We it in the mock draft when we were thinking about – We did. It. that's what it was. Yeah. He's a really good flyer. I just – I it's like Marco Wilson. I can't see Marco Wilson's name and not think about him throwing the show. So yeah. that's, I don't know. That's where I'm at with Elijah Moore, really good player. I, yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of it's preference, right? I He could be the fourth receiver off, off the board. But what if the team that wants the fourth receiver wants a prototypical X, wants an outside guy, right? Then right. you're talking about maybe Rashad Bateman, somebody like that. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of it's preference. I think Elijah Moore is a good player. But, again, it just goes back. Like that 2019 Ed Bull, I watched that live. I, I, that was just amazing football. That, that was such a moment. And so I will, for like Elijah Moore can be a Hall of Famer. In my mind, he'll always be tied to the 2019
1: Egg Bowl. Oh, no. So, just like, so, um,
0: Leon Lett, like Leon Lett, yeah. great player, but everybody
1: thinks of Leon Lett, it's the Super Bowl in the snow game in Dallas. So let's, uh, let's wrap up this wide receiver conversation. You mentioned Kendrick Bourne as sort of the guy in the slot along with Jacoby Myers. I think that this is an interesting conversation of, okay, there is, a million undersized, spleety slot receivers. We just talked about them for like 15 minutes, right? Right. All the different guys that fit that mold. But the Patriots have Bourne. They have Jacoby Myers. I think Nelson Aguilar, they probably will project as somebody that is maybe an X or a Z. But I think that that's someone that they're going to want to play a little bit more on the outside. But I think that the conversation of do they really need another inside receiver? As much as I would absolutely love having somebody that could create it after the catch with the ball in their hands, how, how much do they really need another inside receiver? And what outside guys do we like? Because as somebody else brought up, uh the Patriots' history of outside receivers is not so great, right? You know, Chad Jackson, Aaron Dobson, Nikhil Harry, you know, it's not a great run for them with the outside guys. So which ones do you feel um could fit New England and maybe feel better about actually working out here? Yeah, well,
0: we've talked about this, and I think there's a chance that they give both Myers and Bourne a chance to play the X. Yeah. Kind of see what those guys can do. And maybe that's the answer. You can't draft a guy, so you go and get a guy who – you know, can play in the NFL, and you try to see how he works outside. If they're going to go into it, I think you go down to day three, and you just try to find a guy to push Nikhil in camp, and then either stash him on the practice squad or, or trade Nikhil Harry if he's good enough. I said, like I, and at that point, I'm going home run. Jonathan Adams, he is a jump ball threat, a red zone threat. The way their offense is built right now, they really just need the X guy to be a red zone threat. Uh Nico Collins certainly wouldn't be a bad option either. I. I'm not, like, super into the idea of them taking a big receiver. I don't – especially if if they're going to keep Nikhil, and there's been some rumors that he's going to be traded. But especially if they're going to keep him, I just – I don't see the need to take a big outside
1: receiver. Yeah, so I think that the need is there for a true X. I actually really like Nico Collins. I think that he's a player that could succeed here. He has that outside speed, and he also timed really, really well in the three cone. So he does have some – agility or lateral movement, I should call it. He's not a guy that's a jitterbug at the top of the row. But at the line of scrimmage, I did see some pretty good nuance in 2019. He didn't play in 2020 uh, in his release package. I think his release package at this point – is much better than Nikhil Harry's. I, I think that he's somebody that can really release at the line, build up his speed, and if you're going to be an outside guy that's going to win with possession and, and contested catches, you have to win at the line of scrimmage. You have to move guys off the, their spots, be able to blow past them at the line of scrimmage, and then open up your strides, get guys on your back, and adjust the balls in the air. That's how you win as a contested receiver, and the reason why Nikhil Harry struggled so much is because he doesn't get that movement at the line of scrimmage, and it causes him to wear coverage down the field, right? And it allows those guys to ride his hip pocket and be in good position to play the ball. So I think the biggest thing what you see with Nico Collins is I do see that lateral movement at the line in his release package to get off of press coverage, to get himself up the field. And we definitely saw that at Michigan. We saw it at uh, at the Senior Bowl where he played really well. I think his value is going to be decent in this draft because these slot receivers are going to fly off the board. I think that 8, 9, 10 of these guys could go in the top 75 picks or so. So you might see somebody like a Nico Collins hang around to the third round. And if that's going to end up being the case, and I really like that value play, I like the IME Brown from North Carolina a whole lot too as an outside X. He's a little bit stiffer. I'm not sure if that really is the best translatable skill there, but Nico Collins, if I had to take somebody with a premium pick, would probably be my guy in this draft for the Patriots. If you gotta wait on it, like you said, you know, Jonathan Adams, there's a couple of bigger guys. You know, I'll, you I'll
0: can... give you one more too, is, and I've, I've been big on this guy, Des Fitzpatrick. Yeah, from Louisville. And I don't know that he's as fluent at the line as Nico Collins is, but guys who are hands catchers, guys who can catch the ball away from their body, guys who you know, have body control and can make acrobatic acrobatic catches. Those guys tend to do pretty well here. And Des Fitzpatrick is that. He's 6'2", and he can use that entire frame. And his catch radius is really impressive. So he's maybe a guy on day three if they want that X. And he can play a little bit in the slot, too. He can kind of play that big slot role. So he brings some versatility as well. So maybe that's a guy they look at.
1: Yeah, maybe a guy like Cornell Powell, too, I think sure. could fall into day three just based off of the depth. That's the thing is that we talked about this, I think, in, more so in really the last three drafts. The receiver depth has just been absolutely insane. So it's not like, you know, it would be great if the Patriots drafted somebody like Kadarius Tony or Rashad Bateman or something. Thing and just got this big-time playmaker at wide receiver. But you can wait on wide receiver in these drafts and get somebody later on on day three that I think is still going to have starter-level talent. That, that's how deep this class is this year. Somebody on day three in this draft might really be a fringe top 100 pick in another draft. I think there's starter-level talent, draftable talent in day three For a lot of rounds, like I think you can maybe get somebody in the fifth or the sixth round that will be a starter level upside type of player. Maybe not right now. That's why he falls. But down the road, maybe you can develop him into somebody like that. And uh, those are a few of those guys there. All right. Let's have this conversation. I know you want to talk running backs, Alex, so I will let you talk about running backs the Patriots, I've said it multiple Whoa, wow, times. Whoa, that. not that kind of need, but okay. Yeah, I've said it. Huh, huh. We don't have to necessarily talk about Najee Harris, but uh, we've talked about it multiple times that the Patriots have kicked the tires on running backs this offseason in free agency. They haven't made a movement running back yet. I, I think that there's a running back coming. Now, I hope it's not early. It's, I hope it's not a premium pick, but I do think – there is a running back coming. Uh, where w- would you say is, is a target that you would feel comfortable with? Because I think a first round running back would be a disaster. Sure, yeah. Not
0: Najee Harris, like sneaky need, absolutely. I'll agree with that. Not to the first round extent. They basically need so they, they have their two early down backs and Sony Michelle and Damian Harris. That's sad. Right. They like to carry two passing game backs as well. James White comes back that's one but he's going to be 30, very few running backs produce after the age of 30, and there's really nobody behind him. J.J. Taylor's kind of in this in-between space. He's actually an early down back because he's not a great pass blocker. And that James White role, as important as it is to be able to catch the ball, you have to be able to pass block too. J.J. Taylor's more that Deion Lewis where he's a change of pace early down back. So given they don't play rookie running backs and James White's kind of right up against it, the Patriots need to look to to find the next guy so he can redshirt this year. And then, you know, just like James White took over for Shane Vereen, Vereen took over for Woodhead, Woodhead took over for Kevin Falk, etc. So where do they find that guy? The earliest to me, you're looking right outside the top 100, and it's Dimitri Felton from UCLA. They've met with yeah. him. He's a great fit. Didn't physically test well. I'm not scared off by that. I don't know how you feel. I'll, I trust what I've seen on tape. I think that that was an anomaly. He had a bad day. I don't know. He ate something bad for lunch, whatever it is. I don't think they need Felton at 120. There's some other guys we've talked about Kylan Hill, maybe going a little bit later. Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo is a guy who could be, yeah, they could be interested in one guy I really like though. And I've come around on this the last couple of days and it's interesting you mentioned Rex Burkhead because Rex Burkhead could kind of fill both roles. He right. was a pass catching back, but he was better out of, you know, traditional sets and just taking handoffs from under center than a guy like James Wade is. And if there's a guy like that in this draft, to me, it's Rakeen Boyd out of Arkansas, the last chance U-star. He's got a similar build, 5'11", 2'15". So he's big, but he's not big. Um he, He's a very powerful runner. He likes to run into contact. And his size it might be tough at the NFL, but you'd like to see a guy who's not afraid to fight for extra yards. And he's a sneaky good receiver. He was used a, a good amount out of the backfield as a junior or, or two years ago at Arkansas. Last year he only played six games and then opted out because Arkansas was just terrible. But he kind of fits that Rex Burkhead. He can do a little bit of everything. He's going to be able to, he's going to be a power running back. He's going to be a guy you could use on the goal line. But at the same time, you can use him out of the backfield. He's a very good pass blocker. He's shown uh, the, the hands are still coming, the route running still coming, but he's shown an ability that you get. He understands what he needs to do, and, and he seems like he can grow into it. And he can play special teams as well. He might I be you I F- like him so much because he was on Last Chance U, but that's why I know about him. <laughs> that's no, because I uh, uh, Ronald Ollie was in the draft two years. Oh ago. yeah, I yeah, I want them to take... Ollie. Yeah, you need to finish that stuff. Although they did have um, Nick Coe last year. Was okay. also on the show. He got cut. No, so I, look, it's it's a cool story. Would it be cool if they got a last chance? You got yes. In all honesty, the reality is, Raheem Boyd, I think, has a lot of what Rex Burke had brought to the team. But because he's a po he's a power back who's 5'11", 215, It's going to scare a lot of teams off. And there's certainly growth that needs to happen there. But like you just like you just said, right? You don't want them using a premium pick with the running back. So you're talking about developmental guys. I think Raheem Boyd has a lot of traits that maybe aren't NFL ready yet but excite you, and for a team that doesn't need this guy to produce right away and likes to redshirt running backs, he's kind of the perfect fit, and they can get him outside of the top 200 and maybe as a UDFA. So, so that, you, that's
1: my guy. The other guy I wanted to mention was Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis. Sure. Who I like a lot. I think that he's sort of like Austin Eckler more so than maybe a James White, but somebody that in this draft has the most reps lining out uh, outside the formation, you know, as a guy that Is lines up more than the yeah more than felt it it, he he lined up outside receiver a whole lot in that Memphis offense they are all of a sudden Memphis is like sneaky becoming running back you you know like a, not necessarily like 1.0 that's Alabama Alabama is never going to be topped as running back you in terms of, yeah. of guys that are in first round types of talents but Daryl Henderson Antonio Gibson Kenneth Gainwell's a, a draftable guy every single year out of Memphis there seems to be at least one running back a couple years ago I think the Daryl Henderson draft they had two guys that were actually drafted at, at, that were both running backs so they have a stacked kind of running back factory working on it there at Memphis. He's a pass-catching running back. I think he can run a little bit in between the tackles. That's a really wide-open, zone-based scheme at Memphis, so it's kind of hard to project those guys into more of a manpower scheme, like what the Patriots are going to run. But at the same time, I I think that the pass-catching skill is definitely there for Kenneth Gainwell. He's sort of like Demetrik Felton light, right? If you're not going to, if you don't want to use a third or fourth round pick on Demetrik Felton, maybe you can get Kenneth Gainwell in like the fifth or the sixth round, someone like that. If they take a running back like Najee Harris in the first round, then I am going to quit. Well,
0: so the interesting thing here, and remember what Bill said during his press conference, right, that in some ways the 2019 tape is better than the 2020 tape. So keeping that in mind, let me give you one more name, Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, because Chuba yeah, at a one better point, year. right, right. Chuba at one point, he was in the it. It was Najee Harris wasn't even in the conversation. It was Travis Etienne and Chuba Hubbard for RB one this year. He was supposed to come out last year, and he would have been a borderline first round pick last year. He stays another year, struggled early. I mean, Oklahoma State just struggled as a whole, kind of, um, yeah. but. You know, that he opts out kind of like Rakeem Boyd did. He's just, you know, I'm not having a good year. I want to get ready for the draft. But if Bill's using that 2019 tape as heavy as he's using 2020, Chuba Hubbard, who again, can kind of do both. He's an early down back and a pass catching back. He's going to be higher on the Patriots board than just about any other team if they're really looking at 2019. And that would be a good pick. They can get Chuba Hubbard around like that, that one, what are they, like 177. Yeah, They did pretty well with that pick.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. All right, let's answer this question. I think it's a good one. Uh Bigger need, safety or cornerback? Mm-hmm. We've talked about both positions. Both positions are sort of 2022 20, and beyond type needs, right? Safety, you're looking for the next Devin McCourty type. Corner, you're talking about outside corners and, and, and how that's going to fit in with Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson's contract situations. Uh Which one's more important to you right now to fill? So...
0: All right, I'm gonna kind of take a cop out because I don't necessarily agree with what you just said about them both being 2022 needs. I think outside corners a, a need right now. Who's their third outside corner? It's, I mean, right now it's either Juwan, uh, Juwan um, Williams, Juwan Williams, or or Michael Jackson, who they traded for from Detroit last year. You're right. I don't know. I mean, Juwan Williams has flashed a little bit. I wouldn't hate to see them bring in another guy who's the number three this year and then moves up. I think corners are more immediate need. But with the Patriots defense, that deep safety is so important. And I yeah. trust them to be able to identify and go and get a corner later in the draft for UDFA. I think so upside pick, I think safety's a bigger need. I think you need to try to start finding the guy who's gonna step in for Devin, but immediately I think corner is a bigger need. Because I again with Gilmore coming off that injury. And J.C. Jackson's kind of gone through cold slumps at times. I'd like them to have a real reliable third corner. I thought Jason McCourty was a good option. He's now taking other meetings. Juwan Williams, to me, is kind of risky. So is Michael Jackson. I'd like to see them have a younger, more high upside option maybe for that spot.
1: The the, the argument that you just made is a good one. And the problem is, is that I think a lot of people, if they draft a corner, I think all, all the educated fans that watch our show and, and other shows that understand yeah, yeah. the needs of the team will understand if they take a corner early, right? If they take right. a corner at, well, at fifteen or forty-six. I, but a lot of the casuals are going to freak the f out, especially if they take another corner in the second round, like a Jawan Williams type. If they take yeah. Tyson Campbell, for example, from Georgia. He was a, a, really a carbon copy of a guy like Rosi Dowling or Jawan Williams. You know, not as big as Jawan, but six foot two, long fluid, athletic, rock, upside corner right so yeah, i yeah. think the guys that i would look at if they're gonna go I, I agree that corner is a bigger need right now than safety i think that they do need some depth there on the outside and i certainly think that they need to look at 2022 and beyond as well because the odds of having both stefan gilmore and jc jackson on the 2022 roster i think is a pretty big long shot right the likelihood right. that's that the other thing
0: this can change i mean gilmore gets traded to changes like that
1: so right and the likelihood that they're able to to keep both of those guys beyond 2022, especially with the money that they just committed to corner, or not to corner, to the roster this offseason, you know, that's a lot of big contracts to start stacking. Even if you have a rookie quarterback, it's a lot of big contracts to start stacking together and fit under the cap and have flexibility. So I think the biggest thing that you would look at with corners is somebody that can play both a little – play the Z receiver, right? Play somebody that can play a little inside, can play a little bit outside, and isn't just – Pigeonhole to just outside right. boundary corner work because I do think there are a lot of guys that I would like at at that outside cornerback spot. But somebody like an Eric Stokes, I think, is is someone that can move around a little bit and be sort of a more versatile player in your defense. I do like take Alwin a little bit from UCF as well as sort of a slot outside type of guy. Players like that that kind of fit that Malcolm Butler mold of somebody that can run around and and shadow a Z receiver. I think that's an important one because. Steph, J.C. Jackson, you're going to keep those guys on the boundary for the most part unless Gilmore is traveling inside with a stud, right, if he's going inside with Stephon Diggs or something like that. So I, I think that that's where they should probably look at corner as someone that's not necessarily the big body type. I think they have enough of those types of guys, but someone that's a little bit more flexible to move them around. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I love the corners at the top of the draft. I, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan, I think if you get both of those guys in the first round, you've done really well. Yeah, I just think
0: I'm fine if they go out and get a bigger, pure outside guy just for the long-term projection. Sure. And maybe it's a guy who's – because J.C. Jasserie, he started as an inside corner and then moved outside. He just kind of played where there were opportunities, and Stokes can do that. Another guy you described who kind of fits that mold is Benjamin St. Juice, who is going to go a little later in the draft and is maybe a little more of a project, but the same general idea. I just want a guy – Look, if he can play in the slot and he plays in the slot early and they figure out a way to keep both Gilmore and J.C. for 2021, like cool. That's fine. I want a guy who, when one of those guys isn't on the team in 2022, we don't have to panic because this guy is stepping yeah. in, as outside corner number two, and we know that he's there and he's good to go. The versatility to me, long term. Isn't a huge issue because I think you're drafting this guy, like you said, to be that outside corner, to be that guy that stays on the boundary and battles with X receivers and Z receivers. And to me, I, I really like Eric Stokes. The more I kind of read about him, the more oh, yeah. I watch him, the more I learn about him. He's, I, I said it during the mock draft. I kind of have him right there neck and neck for, with Asante Samuel Jr., especially in turn, if we're talking specifically for the Patriots in terms of the fit for the Patriots, like Eric Stokes is, maybe the biggest riser on my board right now. I'm really a fan of his.
1: Yeah, he's a really, really technically quiet corner. I love quiet corners, right? When oh, you watch yeah. guys, if they don't panic in man coverage, especially, and they're cool, calm, and collected, that really translates very well to the NFL. The guys that get panicky, the guys that are opening their hips early to try to run with guys because they're worried about speed, you know, those are the corners that tend to be a little bit grabby, tend to be a little bit prone to being burned at the NFL level. A guy like Eric Stokes is a quiet Cool, calm technician that played three years of starter ball in the SEC for Georgia. Right, that's that. There's something right, to be yeah. said for that experience as well. So if you're looking for a guy to be that third corner, now they have Jonathan Jones. They have guy They have options in the slot, right? So they're not right. going to. I'm not. Yeah, problem. Jonathan
0: Jones, Miles Bryant. Like I'm not. Remember, D'Angelo Ross comes back next year. Yeah, I'm, uh, we're
1: forgetting the guy that they they just saw, uh, Jalen Mills. Is Jalen gonna Mills. It. Right. Well, he's, he's going to play really some safety
0: like, too. But yeah. Uh, I couldn't be less worried. I, slot corner, I think, is one of, if not their strongest spot, right, right now on the roster in terms of top end talent and depth. That's why if, if the guy needs to play in the slot early to get reps, so be it. I just go get me a guy
1: who can play on the outside, who can step in for J.C. Jackson
0: and Stephon Gilmore. That's what I'm looking at.
1: Stokes is a good option. I would much rather him than some of these other names that we've floated. You know, I I, I think that he's really quickly becoming that guy that's, you know, not the top in the top three with Farley and Sertan and Horn, certainly, but that next wave of yeah, cornerback right. prospect, I think that he's right at the top of the list for the Patriots. If I have to name a safety, though, uh, Tyree Gillespie from Missouri, I, I've really gotten uh, into his tape more recently. Uh, you, know, you know me, prisoner of the moment. Uh, he is somebody that is really an intriguing to me, As a deep safety can play single high can come down and and, kind of lay the boom both against the run and the pass Uh, broke up a few plays against Alabama had his best tape probably last year against Alabama and a core special teamer that contributed on five different units in Missouri. And if they're going to draft the safety with a premium pick, that guy's got to contribute in the kicking game. Same with the cornerback spot, right? They've got to get a guy that's going to be able to cover kicks because that's going to be difficult for them uh, to get, you know, playing time as a rookie, certainly with J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore, similarly with Duggar and Mills and McCordy At safety, it's going to be a little bit difficult you know to find a guy that that's gonna be able to play right away, so i I think that that's a really good uh option for them too, maybe third or fourth round uh Tyree Gillespie uh really high on him as well, okay, so let's uh yeah uh Jalen mills really quickly, he's not gonna be a single high safety Jalen mills is playing in the box. Yeah. He's playing in the slot, uh, not not a not a deep safety unless they're going to run some split coverage. I uh, think Patrick Chung, you know that that that's really more the role that they're looking for with him. Okay, uh, let's try to get to some more of these quarterback ones before we sign off here. This is an interesting question because we have sort of nixed some of the quarterback options ahead of the Patriots in this draft as we've gotten closer. We know the top three teams are going to take a quarterback. I still don't think the Atlanta Falcons are going quarterback in this draft. I think there might be a year too soon to take a first a guy at four overall with Matt Ryan still under contract for a couple more years. But the teams behind the Patriots, the Bears, the Washington football team, those are teams that might get aggressive at the quarterback spot and might be willing to give up multiple first rounders into the future to go and jump up the, above the Patriots to take a QB. How worried are you about those teams sort of lurking behind New England and that 16 to 24 range? I think is where the football team and the Bears kind of are. Yeah. It's
0: certain. I mean, it's certainly worth thinking about. It's certainly worth talking about. It's not an invalid concern. I just wonder. Well, first of all, one of these teams is going to convince themselves they're going to fall in love with Kyle Trask. I think Kyle Trask ends up sneaking into the back end of the first round. Oh, I God, actually I, do. I think it's, and I think it's the, the Steelers are the team I kind of have from right now. I yeah. just think you get a seamless he's transition. Kind of, he's kind of
1: Mason rudolph right? You know? Right. And I think
0: you get a seamless transition from Ben into Trask, right? If that's kind of your,
1: because
0: Ben's got, Ben's got to be honest last year, I think,
1: right? Yeah. yeah so. He probably
0: should have retired after
1: last year, to be honest.
0: You're, I mean, you're right, but you want to yeah. give up $40 million in terms of moving up that, and this is why the, the Sam Darnold trade was so big. Yeah. is the Patriots have the best offer on the table because they can offer that 15th pick instead of 18 or 20 or 21 or whatever it is, and that's all they have to outbid, and that might even discourage teams from attempting it, right? The team that I'm more worried about is Denver, who sits at 9 if they want to move up. I don't know that they do. Again, I think they're too early. I don't think Drew Locke's gotten a fair shake yet. I think he used the top Uh, 60 pick on him I think you really got to do a little more and see what he has because he's shown some real promise right outside of those last two minutes last year the game in New England he was just hitting you know 50 60 yard dots all over the field it was great but yeah I you know I just they might try to jump but if the Patriots want a quarterback they can outbid these teams if one of these teams jumps them it probably means the Patriots didn't want to trade up for quarterback which is another story and I'm not saying that that's You know the right thing to do to not trade up, but if the Patriots want to move up, they're going to either. If the Patriots want to move up, one of three things is going to happen. They're going to move up, that or that or sorry, two things. They're either going to move up or that team just doesn't want to budge. They're not going to get outbid because they they can put the best offer on the table outside of Denver, who I still think the quarterback talk is a little like I because they were in the Deshaun Watson thing, and I think that got people going like, oh, quarterback. Like Drew Locke's still a good young quarterback. I'm not sacrificing future assets to move on from Drew Locke. Now, if it's Deshaun Watson and the guy who's proven, yeah, I would, but I don't think they're in the space where moving up from nine to six, nine to seven, and giving up a future first to move on from a 24-year-old quarterback for a guy who's a wild card, that just doesn't seem worth it to me.
1: Yeah, so the Bears, you mentioned Kyle Trask, and I feel like the Bears are an interesting spot for Kyle Trask because he's the type of passer that I think needs to be in a quick West Coast type of system, right? He's going to want to get the ball out. He's going to want to live where the decisions are made for him. Yeah, a West Coast-based scheme seems to be the best fit for Kyle Trask. So I could see the Bears liking him a little bit. He's got the size. you know, He's got some of those things that you like in terms of a West Coast scheme. So maybe they go that direction direction in Chicago. Uh, The football team's an interesting one. You know, I I think that they're going to be a little bit aggressive at quarterback too. But the point I wanted to make is that, honestly, I I sort of feel like the quarterback conversation is now going to come full circle. And this is where I feel like we're going to get next week on Thursday night, is we tied all these conversations about Mac Jones going number three to San Francisco. I still don't think he's the pick for the 49ers. I know that's what everybody in the media wants to say and wants you to believe, but I still don't feel like Mac Jones is the pick for the Niners at three, which makes me think that the most likely outcome, like we talked about you and I, Alex, starting back in January for the Patriots in the first round is probably Mac Jones. Right, I I think that he's the guy that is around ten, eleven. That's when it starts to make sense for a player like Mac Jones. Maybe three a little bit too high, especially over guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Mac Jones, I feel like we are like I said, we started in January around the college football playoff and around the uh, college football national championship. Say Mac Jones is the best fit in the draft for the Patriots at quarterback. Then we all kind of got fascinated, myself included, by Justin Fields, by Trey Lance, by the upside of those players. And now I feel like we've come full circle, and Mac Jones is the more realistic option to get. So I, I feel like Mac Jones is, is going to be right in their sweet spot and somebody that is going to be a very, very easy uh, for the Patriots uh, to end up getting. I, I think that it's going to end up being Fields or Lance at three, San Francisco. I don't think any of these other teams are going to be clamoring to draft Mac Jones in the top 10 that have picks like Denver or like Atlanta that might have needs there at quarterback. I think that it ends up being somebody like Mac Jones, which I find is, uh, will be fascinating if we come back complete full circle after you and I talked about it all the way back when. After I
0: talked about it in October, you told me no.
1: Yes, I still I I still remember that. I know you're going to bring that up. Oh, you're never going to forget it. As long as I have anything to say about it, you're never going to forget it. No, why
0: do you want that job? Why do you want that? I'm still not 100% third round
1: quarterback. It, it, It is a little bit of a reach, but. That's quarterbacks for you. All right. Um, so apparently uh getting off quarterbacks really quickly. I want to go back to my big offensive lineman. I, I haven't seen this from Doug and, and Mike Reese, but apparently Elijah Verritucker's name has come up in their conversations. Uh he is somebody that definitely checks a lot of Patriots boxes, um, very smooth athlete. Does project to, from a lot of people to move inside to guard, but when you play that well at tackle and in a power five conference, I think you can definitely leave him out at tackle as well and have him ha- have a very good NFL career. Really smooth athlete, connects really well and climbs to the second level, pull blocks, m- movements, lateral movements. If you want to move him there, very clean pass setter, just a, a kind of clean, checks-the-boxes, safe offensive line pick. And I think that that would be a really nice pick for them in the first round. We've talked a lot about Derrissow. We've talked a little bit about Rashawn Slater. Um, we've talked about guys maybe on day two at the tackle position, Radunes, uh, Ian, Liam Eikenberg from Notre Dame, uh, whatever, we haven't talked a ton about Vera Tucker. I'm not sure how much he, you've seen of him, Alex, but a very technically sound, clean tackle prospect with very good athleticism.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I haven't watched a ton of him. I, they, like, they'll take they, – they, they like those, those athletic kind of multi-position tackles. He certainly fits. I think if, this, I, I, if they're going to take a tackle, I just feel like they're going to be able to get Darisar Slater at 15. And I think those two guys are better. And maybe this is like a trade back there. I'd have to see exactly what Doug and, and Mike said. But right. I just—he's a good tackle. I just don't know if he's going to be the best tackle on the board when they pick.
1: The reason why I think that he could be higher on their board than we think is because he—they do love those guys that can play both tackle and guard, right? If you give him those vers- that versatility, I think Vera Tucker is somebody that they could project. In their system, could play four different spots, every spot besides center, right? And that is something that they do but hold some value. There's, there's guys you can get like that later in the draft, right? Right. I mean, that's not his top trait. I'm just saying that if you're stacking him together, and he's got some really good upside, really clean technique, as I said, if you're stacking them together, Darisau, Slater, uh, Vera Tucker, you know, all these Leatherwood, all these guys in the first round, Vera Tucker definitely presents the most. Kind of versatility. Somebody that can move around the line, and you can play in different spots. Whereas those other guys, you know, if you draft a guy like Darius, out he's playing left tackle. If you draft a guy like Rashawn Slater, he's playing left tackle. I think Darius uh, Tucker gives you a little bit more versatility. Now, I, I do wonder if he's a little bit better of a fit in a zone-based scheme. Big outside zone type of offense, like a, like a Shanahan or a McVay type of offense where you can step out and turn and run towards the sideline and use that athleticism in space as a lateral mover. But he does connect well to second level. Like I mentioned, not necessarily a people mover at the line of scrimmage, but if they want sort of an athlete, which they have tended to go towards those guys that are really, uh, have good feet, like Isaiah Wynn, Vera Tucker at left tackle makes a little bit of sense for them as well. I just think I'll go back to what I said
0: about the corners. You know, positional versatility is nice, but they they're, they're going to need a starting left or right tackle next year. They do. And I think I he can want... play
1: tackle. The reason why he's projected mostly inside the guard is because his his skill set is a little bit better in terms of upside at guard, right? That's what sure. we're talking about a lot of these guys, right? You bump him inside the guard; he's an all pro guard. He's probably like a second team all pro tackle, right? You know what I mean? Like, right. mean, so so again, where's the
0: they're set at guard. They're good at guard. They need, yeah. they're, they're going to need a tackle next year and just get me the guy who week one, 2022 is going to be the better starting tackle. And I just think that that's Darius on Slater.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that we can uh, wrap it up there and, uh, Okay, well, we did not have Mac Jones as a third-round pick. That was back in October that we were talking about Mike, yeah. Mike Larry uh, and reading some of these comments about how we feel about Mac Jones. They're a little bit off. Anyways, uh, I think we can wrap it up about there, and uh, we're going to be back on Thursday. Mock draft again, uh, 5.0 this time, right, Alex? And uh, we're going to do another – we're doing fun mock drafts on Thursday, right, and then another serious one on Tuesday before the Tuesday draft. Tuesday will I'm be ready. the
0: final draft. This is our – this is what we're going with.
1: Yeah, that that, that is the plan as of right now. Um, We'll try to maybe fit in another uh, Q&A or something like that, and we'll definitely have uh, a post-draft reaction. (laughs) Thank God we can finally start talking about the guys that they actually took. Then what are we going to talk about? We'll do like a week or two on that, and then – what do we do so, until July? I, Red Sox. I don't know. Then 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 the real off season begins, right? Then the real <laughs> yeah. off season begins. Uh, that's what I always say. After the draft is the real dead period of the NFL calendar. So maybe we'll come up with some uh, cool ideas. Uh, Patriots, uh, you know roster resets or or whatever and and we'll try to keep the uh we'll definitely keep the train rolling here on Patriots Beat even sure. after the draft but I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about for the weeks after the draft as well to break down all the different things that the Patriots have done on draft weekend so again mock draft Thursday night another one on Tuesday before the draft which will be sort of our final uh this is a dress rehearsal type of mock draft for the Patriots our best stab so we're we wearing suits we
0: could wear suits I don't know if my suit still fit. I haven't worn a suit since before quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> we, we may have to do that just to see what happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll see how, how we look uh, getting all uh, in our suits that were pre-quarantine uh, weight suits. Uh, yeah, exactly. all of us are, are going to be a little bit uh, tight around the neck, if you will. But uh, we'll we'll get into that next Tuesday. Maybe we'll wear those, like, suit T-shirts, you know? the the, the oh, like a tuxedo T-shirt? That'd yeah, be super yeah. classy. That'd be very classy. I like that. Yeah, that, that'd be very classy. But we're, we're going to get into that on Tuesday again. That's our final mock draft leading up to uh, the 2021 NFL Draft, which we are nine days away from, and we are, we're getting closer. All this speculation, all these rumors, we can finally see what the Patriots are going to do. Because right now, I think the one thing that we can confidently say, Alex, is – Absolutely nobody, nobody knows what Bill Belichick is going to do next weekend. So don't uh, listen to anyone. I, I don't think anyone that that claims to know uh, has any idea what they're talking about. So no one knows what the Patriots are going to do. We're going to do our best at trying to take a guess at it over the next couple of uh, episodes with the mock draft. But thank you guys very much for uh, coming in today and, and taking uh, answering Asking questions, excuse me. And Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Thursday night for Mock Trap 5.0. 5. 5. Yeah, 5.0. Right, yeah. But until then, signing off, Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.